Hello, and welcome to PSR, People Speaking Rail. I'm Mike Bowden, just the head of Intermodal Solutions here, joined as always by my colleague, Joanna Marsh. Um, Joanna, how are you doing today? Oh, pretty good. How are you? Doing well. Doing us from the um, the mothership here in Chattanooga. Can hear it raining oh, outside yeah. as, as as we speak. Um, hopefully it doesn't uh, wait, right, rain out the, the, the game tonight. We're planning to go to the, the Lookouts game. Oh, okay. That sounds fun. That's yeah, cool. yeah. How's the weather here? Yeah, it's um. Yeah, hope, hopefully it's 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 okay tonight. Um, but but yeah, I um, wanted to have you um talk about one of this art the article that you wrote uh just the other day, I guess April twelfth, which was yesterday on the autonomous uh rail uh, vehicle maker. So this was interesting. I mean, this this just kind of picture just really sort of captures um you know your attention you know r- right away. At least it did for me and. This is a, a, a Parallel Systems. You interviewed their CEO. Um, why don't you tell me a, about that? Yeah, sure. So um, they are uh, working on technology to um, sort of, in a way, kind of produce um, autonomous rail cars. So you wouldn't have a locomotive, um, but it would actually utilize the existing freight rail network. So there wouldn't be, you know, additional tracks laid down. Um, but so it would use the, uh, the existing freight rail network and you would have these um, these rail cars and it's looking actually kind of like a, like intermodal containers. So it's, it's actually kind of looking like chassis and then you would, <laughs> you would put them on the on the um, rail track and have the containers um, go by. And so um, they've been in existence for a little while, the company has, um, and they've I think they've they've done one sort of prototype car. And so now they're actually. Uh, they've they're in the process of constructing or they have constructed um, multiple cars and so not just one but to have actually like several cars and to to um, to attach them together and then see how see how that goes so it's all still very much in the testing stages so I mean you have that element of like how to test multiple cars um, but then also you know how does it perform um, in terms of you know uh, actually moving um, you know uh, with um, uh, you know, that with all the other sort of factors that that play into um, the physics of, of moving um, big, <laughs> big, big uh, pieces of of things. So yeah, um, that's so, yeah, that's kind of where they're at. So, so interesting. So still in the testing phase, and and sort of when you look at that at that picture where you have the sort of the two pads, and you still have the intermodal container, and and I guess you have them you know stacked too high in the picture, and then they're on uh, kind of like two separate. Um, you know, kind of pads, it seems like on, on either end of the intermodal container and, you know, no locomotive. Um, is, is there enough torque from those, um, from, from those uh, autonomous rail cars sort of without having a locomotive that you can move something very heavy? I know that you said in your article that they're starting with intermodal, which tends to be the lighter, you know, type of freight in general. But um, were there any sort of weight requirements there that, that it could only be just certain types of freight? Yeah, you know, I, I think they're, they're probably, you know, that's, that's probably re- the research that they're conducting, or at least, you know, I mean, that will have to be factored in as, you know, as the project progresses. Um, if they don't have, you know, an immediate answer now, you know, obviously it'll have to, uh, you know, be looked at at, at some point down the line. Um, so I don't really have a clear answer on that, but I, you know, obviously it's, it's something that um, you would, you know, they would look at. And plus, you know, because they were talking about how, or he was talking about how, um, you know, you have the intermodal moves and then, of course, the the 
uh, as sort of an alternative to trucking, particularly lanes where, um, you know, rail might, it might not be as an attractive option for rail currently, mm-hmm. but you still theoretically couldn't do rail. Um, so maybe shorter moves. Um, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, you, you'd have to, um, you know, figure in what sort of, uh, what sort of goods would be moved back and forth within those intermodal containers. So mm-hmm. obviously like checking out different weight sizes or not weights, but just, um, yeah, that's one of the things that stood out to me from your from your article was that the company is focusing on taking sort of trucks off the road and not competing with rail intermodal as it is now. And I think that's important because, you know, you sort of look at a picture like that or sort of just even the concept of autonomous freight trains, there, there you see it again, is like, well, you know, I can see why I can see why the railroads might like that. Um, I, I can also see why the, the unions, you know, wouldn't like that. Uh, if it was something that could t- potentially be taking away other railroad jobs, they're talking about things in your article, you're talking about like Oakland to Reno, wouldn't have any intermodal volume there today, kind of too short haul to really make the economics, uh, you know, work. But um, did, did uh, your contact there at, at Parallel Systems talk anything about, you know, sort of potential pushback from from unions or how, how they would eventually um, negotiate that um, issue? Yeah, no, we we didn't really talk about that necessarily, but I I feel like that's something that might, even if we did talk about it, I feel like it's it's uh, he would say that it's it's uh, something that's a little too far down the road. Um, I was trying to get more of a, um, an idea of 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 timelines and in, in terms of like when you would actually might see this deployed, and it, and it seems like you know he he was kind of saying it's it's really too soon to tell because you know you have. Uh, they have to do their own testing with their multiple cars. And then, of course, they have to modify things. And then after they do that, then they have to go to Pueblo, Colorado, which is where a lot of the um, uh, the, the railroad testing is done um, uh, through the industry and, you know, and do the tests there. And then, of course, then you have to demonstrate it um, someplace. And so, you know, and then you have to get, you know, approval from the federal government to actually run these things. And so it's like, you know, it's a multi-tiered uh, process. And so uh, he kind of... Uh, didn't give a, a date and i think um I, and of course i could be wrong but you know it's my impression that it's not something that's going to happen the next year or two so i i think in terms of whether there wouldn't be any pushback from the unions it would be further down the line that hopefully i mean i don't know hopefully at some point there might be some sort of more clarity in terms of, of how the unions and the railroads kind of deal with this technology issue that is it going away um anytime soon so gotcha so it's very much a prototype we're not going to see it next week um with with that i want to bring up our uh infographic we have a blue infographic that um our uh, graphics team put together they do lots of um kind of good uh you know know, graphics there um and and really so this one tell me if you think this directly contradicts the article that, that, that you wrote. So two-person crews become law in Ohio. So governor um, of Ohio uh, put this into place and, you know, recently signed a bill requiring freight crews of, of a cruise of at least two people. Now we know that the, the, the two-person cruise is required right now by union contracts. Potentially it could change if the union agreements changed, um, but I'm not anticipating that now the, the FRA, the organization that regulates the railroad safety, had hearings that you reported on um, when they were talking about 
you know, potentially having a nationwide law that required the two-person cruise. And that would just, in my mind, create another barrier to make it difficult to have um, to have a one-person uh, to have a one-person crew. And so, um, you know, what what did you think about this um, this development? You know, mandating two-person crews in in Ohio. And if you had to guess, do you think that two-person crews are going to be you know with us for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I you know it's. I don't think the foreseeable future in terms of like, you know, in the near term, um, I think, I I think it's, it's always going to, you know, unless, unless things drastically change, I I, I think it's, it's always going to be in the back of the railroad industry's mind. Not that like a railroad industry is like an entity of a person, but like, you know, kind of in the back of the mind that, um, you know, are there other options? Um, And then, because you also do have the the, the question of um, what will the future of, of railroading look like in terms of like, you know, will you, on one hand, it probably is good to have you know, two person crews because, you you know, you, you have someone um, kind of uh, who, who can who can serve functions that, you know, that one person it's too much for, for one person to do. But on the on the other hand, too, it's like. Um, Will there, you know, how hard will it be to to find, um, you know, who, who are the next generation of of railroad railroaders? Not to say that you know that there isn't going to be, you know, there, there's always going to be people filling the ranks, but like how many how many people will be around to, to fill the ranks? And and I think, um, so I, I think it, it, yeah, I mean, kind of give, given the changing demographics and sort of the the changing sort of you know shifting of 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 sort of workplace uh attitudes but just sort of like expectations um i i don't think it's an issue that's going to go away necessarily but i'm not quite sure um how it'll resolve itself i i think right now the the rail industry kind of feels the 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 the, the heat right now in the spotlight on itself and so um, a lot of the discussions about two-person crews um might be on the back burner, but I don't know if it's totally gone away. Um, or like one person cruise, I'm sorry. Okay. But, um, but yeah, I mean, and of course, you know, the, the unions argue too that, you know, you've, you've had all these safety advancements and so why can't, you know, why can't you have those safety advancements and still have the same level of, of workers that you, you have had, you know, so that would improve um, the operations safety even more as opposed to sort of using using the technology to, to, to cut back on, on people. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, my, my guess is that we don't see one person crews anytime soon. I think it's going to be two person crews for the foreseeable future. I think there's just too much focus right now on safety. And I think there seems to be the trend is that there's just more barriers to getting to one person crews. If you think about this, this, this law in Ohio, as being a barrier, the FRA as 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 being a barrier, the the, the unions are not something that they're going to concede on. So um, I think we'll be um, we'll have two two person crews for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, we want to move on to um, you know you did a, a write up of Greenbrier's uh, analyst day, or, or I guess you did a, a, an update on Greenbrier's earnings, which kind of interesting. They didn't have an earnings call, which was very unusual. I've never known them to do that, but then they had an analyst day. Which I don't remember them having an an, an analyst day uh, before, but um, you know, what what can you tell us about 
uh, you know, what, what they have said so far. Yeah, yeah. So I confess I haven't been able to fully listen to the analyst days. I'm not 100%, you know, so I, you know, but my impression um, is kind of based on a release that they, they uh, wrote about the analyst day, as well as two, um, two research notes from, uh, from two investment firms, is that, um, then, you know, that, uh, you know, Green, Greenbrier is, has been producing rail cars and, um, and uh, several months ago, they, they, added sort of a, a leasing unit or, you know, or kind of, if they didn't have one before that, you know, they, they, they strengthened it, um, the, the leasing arm, um, to their business. And it sounds like they're, they're trying to, um, uh, uh, I don't want to say expand, you know, further support that, that leasing arm, um, uh, in a way, I guess probably as, as a way to, to kind of diversify, uh, who they are as a company. And so I think, um, yeah, so there's a push to, to expand that, that leasing activity. And, and um, so it's something that, you know, could uh, be uh, talked about more in the future, you know, you know in subsequent uh, earnings calls or, or whatever announcements they make. Yeah, I think that t- tends to be the trend. I mean, the you know, if you have a stock chart of, of, of Greenbrier and it just sh- sort of shows, I mean, it's a... They they make every car rail car type there is there there, there you see the the uh, you know Greenbrier is in the the darker line and then the lighter blue line is the S and P five hundred so it hasn't been a great you know five year return um, but those tend to be pretty volatile just because the rail car manufacturing industry is is so volatile uh, given um, that you know at any point in time there's one rail car type that tends to really be in 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 demand it seems like right at the moment most rail car types um are, are actually in demand and lease rates seem to be going up and you know there's some exceptions to that like you know center beam cars i don't know if we're going to build a lot of houses with with interest rates you know continuing to, to to rise but you know in a lot of cases i mean it seems like there's enough at least sufficient demand out there but like you think you describe it pretty well that this company um is maybe going to look a little bit more like trinity industries which is kind of the most similar you know company that um you know manufactures cars uh, for companies that that want to buy them, but they also you know, build a lot of cars for their own lease fleet, which provides their sort of stable uh, you know revenue stream. So we'll continue to to, to watch that one. Um, and I have to go back and 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 look at their analyst call as as well. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you. I mean, wh- what other uh, stories are are you writing about? I think you were doing something on the American uh, Chemistry Council that they were not um, you know happy with the rail service. Oh yes, are they ever? Um- well, that's a question. You know, all shippers. <laughs> that's sort of the 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 the, the frenemies uh, dynamic between the shippers and the rails. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So the American Chemistry Council uh, came out with a report uh, today. Um, kind of, they they had surveyed their membership um, in January, uh, looking at uh, rail service in the second half of the year compared with the first half of the year. And, um, and I think it was about like 77% of them said rail service was about the same or worse. Um, I think majority of that percentage said the same. Um, so I, you know, I guess that's better than (laughs) worse, but, um, but, uh, yeah, so, so they, so, so that was one of the key takeaways from, from rail anyway. Um, and, uh, and it also talked a little bit about embargoes as well and, and how I believe a majority of the companies who had been surveyed um, had been affected by embargoes during the year 2022 at some point. 
Um, and, you know, and of course, from, from their view, the embargoes weren't really necessarily an effective way to to address uh, the rail service backups that had been occurring. But of course, that's a ship review. Um, and I, the, the report, I didn't, I'm writing it up, I, I didn't focus as much on it, but it does also talk about um, truck transportation and, um, and how the maritime uh, transportation, how that has been going along. And I think oh, as an overall supply chain, um, so not just rail, but the other pieces too, um, that, uh, that the chemical shippers did see some service improvement um, from the first half of the year to the second half of the year. Um, so there's that. I, I am actually also adding in that story um, a little blurb about, um, so the USDA um, Agricultural Marketing Service produces a weekly grain transportation report. Mm-hmm. And um, they noted that, uh, you know, according to service metrics that, um are provided um, by the class one railroads to the service transportation board. Um, you know, some of the some of the service metrics were, were mixed in the first quarter of this year, and so uh, even though um, grain carloads are down, um, due in part to you know, the bad weather, mm-hmm. um, I you know I think uh, some you know origin you know there are still some service issues in, in terms of. Um, uh, origin times or you know, just just uh, not thinking not being uh, there was not being as timely as, as, as it could be um, but there have been some other improvements as well so I said that it was mixed and so um, and that was of course for, for, for grain for the first quarter uh, so um, it's so I guess real <laughs> I guess the takeaway is that rail service is still an issue and, and shippers yeah. are still uh and rail, the railroads are still in front of me. So, yeah, I mean, it is. I I would be disappointed if I was a shipper. And you know, we've seen the volumes come down, particularly like in certain sectors, they've really come down a lot. Like you mentioned in in, in grain, and they're still seeing, you know, service issues. Um, you know, even though the rails have made a pretty significant push to recruit new workers, retain new workers, which was really sort of the main thing that they blamed all the service issues, um, you know, on. So. Uh, you know, with that, I want to move on to. I'll, I'll do a couple of uh, intermodal uh, charts uh, from the freight wave sonar products. Yeah, I'm going to bring up domestic rail container uh, volume, and uh, yeah, those haven't been uh, haven't been great. I think you know overall the rail intermodal volume is down, you know, double digits. What is in the last week, like about you know 13 percent for both um, domestic and international. This one just looks at domestic. Loaded volume. You see that latest dip is related to um, you know the Good Friday holiday. You know adjacent to to Easter. You see similar in 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 the, in the previous uh, you know years. But but certainly you know domestic intermodal volume. I, I don't think has surprised anyone to you know the the upside. Um, you can bring up a couple other you know charts here. And the intermodal contract has been has been one chart that you know I found this one to be pretty interesting. So this is from a company that processes uh, transactions. And so I'm, I'm putting that all the way back to 2018, and those white uh, horizontal lines are, you know, each year. And you kind of see some kind of gradual step ups from 18 into 19, um, and then uh, you know, really, you know, not, you know, 19, 2019 was a weak year for freight. So the, kind of the first half of 2020 was was down. The second half of 2020, you know, up, sort of following the tightness in the truckload. Uh, market, but then you know, you know, strong peak season in at the end of 2020, and that you know, kind of two consecutive years where 
intermodal stepped up, uh, intermodal contract rates stepped up. And I should mention these exclude uh, fuel surcharges. Uh, so up double digits from 2020 to 2021, up double digits again from 2021 to 2022. Now they seem to be going back down, you know, the other way, you know, the latest, um, you know, data point, if I just look at a year over year basis that, uh, you know, dollar sixty six in, in, in red, so that's down, let's call it, you know, 17 or 18%, you know, year over year. And, and now is the time when more of these intermodal contracts, you know, start to roll over, um, you know, kind of in the first half of this year, most of them get, you know, repriced by, let's say, May or, May or June. Uh, so, um, you know, coming down from a high level, we'll see how, um, you know, low those go if they go all the way back to pre-pandemic levels. My sort of, you know, guess is that it, it stays above, uh, you know, pre-pandemic, uh, you know, levels um, just because, the, you know, the costs have have, have risen um, in, in many different ways, labor, um, you know, et cetera. So uh, certainly I think the shippers are getting a little bit of a break, um, you know, on top of the fact that diesel prices are down, you know, very significantly last three quarters. I'll bring up another um, intermodal uh, chart here. So this is the intermodal, what we call in Sonar, our intermodal uh, contract savings uh, index. And so what we do here is the data team looks at transactions that were processed in a particular week, both in uh, for, for a five-digit origin destination pair. So same five-digit origin, same five-digit destination uh, for, for truckload and for intermodal includes fuel surcharges for both modes because that's a big part of the intermodal savings is the lower fuel surcharges. And then we just look at the spread of those. And, and oftentimes it's the same you know, unique shipper that's moving both truckload and intermodal the same from the same origin to the same destination, you know, really sort of the same facility, and and so we've eliminate all those variables and say kind of how much cheaper is 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 intermodal, and right at the moment, nine point seven two percent, which is the low end of the range, which is the range is about nine percent to over twenty percent. You know, you tend to think of intermodal as being about ten to fifteen percent cheaper, so it is kind of at the lower end of that historical uh, you know range. And so it says to me, um, you know, a couple of things. One of those things is that truckload rates tend to uh, move before intermodal uh, rates and more intermodal contracts will get repriced on a quarterly basis. Intermodal does, does tend to be annual, tends to be sort of first half of, of the year. So I, I think that means that intermodal is uh, coming down uh, as, as further to, to fall. And also when I look at that sort of 9.72 and think, well, the shippers have made a bigger push here recently to... Um, strengthen their supply chains, not have the supply chain issues that they've seen the past few years, even if it means paying a little bit more for freight transportation. I think shippers, uh, particularly I'm thinking about the, some of the CPG companies that I follow for the CPG newsletter, th they're placing more importance on on service. And so that 9.72, I mean, I you know, let's call it 10%, you know, it just doesn't seem like it's enough to entice a lot of shippers to um, use rail intermodal if they're not using it already. I think they're concerned about, you know, what they think of as being service issues where to serve service issues to CPG company is having those goods, you know, at the retailer on time and in full. So um, maybe that's not terribly bullish for um, intermodal, uh, but that's kind of what we're seeing in uh, FreightWave Sonar. So with that, you have about a minute and a half left. What are you working on for the next uh, week? What can we look forward to on the site? Yeah, well, you know, first up, I, I I actually believe that that um that the rail earnings are, are coming up again. I know that oh, yeah. several have said that, yeah, uh, several have said that they're, uh, you know, release second, 
the, the Louis states are the first quarter of um of 2023 that's the year that we're in yes yeah. uh i i are coming the last week of april and then i i usually i although i confess i haven't looked um uh csx and union pacific are among the the first to report results and so um unless things have drastically changed which you know you never know um uh they would be reporting results um next week and so so yeah this will be interesting to see um uh you know what they say uh, uh you know in the there were when the when they had their earnings calls in um in, in january and they were kind of talking about how uh you know not to you know sort of expect a, a softer market in terms of like economic like macroeconomics but and so i i don't really see any surprise there but it'll be interesting to see like you know what they say about service and and, uh, and and safety as well, um, given all the spotlight that's been on safety lately. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, and, and then next week also, I mean, in addition to the Rails, Jamie Hunt reports, I mean, I, I think it'll be interesting from my perspective to see if they agree with that analysis I just described from the Sonar data product that shows sort of the intermodal, ball, uh, intermodal contract rates coming coming down from from, from a high level. Um, but uh, we'll look forward to that and we'll, we'll keep watching your uh, you know articles on the sites. How can people uh, you know subscribe to the FreightWaves um, Rail newsletter? Yeah, so there's a link at the bottom of the articles, and you can also go to www.freightwaves.com backslash subscribe, and um, and all the newsletters should be there. So subscribe. Well, okay, everyone go do that, and hope everyone has a great day.